Lobsters and lollipops, it's time to begin. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 8 of the book Prince Caspian. I am a citizen of Terebinthia, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host. I'm a dear little friend. Dear little friend. (laughs) Also Also known known as Chris. Hello. Hi. Welcome, Diella. Who? Um, how do you? How are you? Doing all right. It's a it's a chilly record day. It is. It's it's uh, gotten a little chilly here. It's nice. Southern, deep in, s- sunny Southern California. Still sunny, just cold now. Deep in the heart of fall. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, how are how are you doing, Kristen? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Doing good. It's a day off for us, so yeah. you know. Yeah. We might actually bring some energy to this podcast. What? <laughs> I know that's crazy. It is, of course, another Wednesday record, though, which means it's going to be disastrous in the background uh, noise levels. It's going to take about two hours. Well, yep. let's let's see. When but the neighbor already put their trash bins out, so we at least have Ooh, that going okay. in our favor. Well, might as well start. Yep. So you want to go ahead and crack off with that uh, summary? I'll crack off with that summary. Uh... <laughs> Just repeating your own words back to you. Yeah. Um, glad that they could tickle you so much. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so as we read through the chapter, uh, we each choose five sentences from the chapter in order to summarize the chapter. So here is what, my... Wait a second. Did we actually talk about what chapter we're doing? Because I don't think we mentioned I, that. I said that we were doing chapter eight okay. of Prince Caspian. I didn't say that the title of it was how they left the island there we go um but the title of it is how they left the island can't forget that part yes important all right so here's my five sentence summary Mm -hmm. so it was the horn your own horn sue that dragged us all off that seat at the platform yesterday morning but we want to be here don't we said lucy if aslan wants us my humble duty to your majesty's all. Humble duty. We must join King Caspian at once. Everything smelled salty, and there was no noise except the swishing of water and the clop-clop of water against the sides and the splash of the oars and the jolting noise of the rowlocks. All right, there we go. We uh, got real close this time. I yeah. did something we haven't done in a while. We have three of the same sentences in the same place, even in oh, our summary. Wow. <laughs> wow. So we got real close there. Um, so without further ado, here's mine, which is basically the same. So it was the horn. Your own horn, Sue, that dragged us all off that seat on the platform yesterday morning. I suppose you are the four children out of the old stories, said Trumpkin. My humble duty to your majesty's all. Humble duty. We must join King Caspian at once. The children were sorry to leave Caraparavel, which, even in ruins, had begun to feel like home again. There you go. Mm -hmm. Excellent. uh, Yeah, um, I'm not surprised that we chose a lot of the same sentences because most of this chapter is really not important to the plot in any way, shape, or form. 
But the There's fact that char- you didn't include any of like the character conflict and stuff, like giants and junipers, Chris, I'm shocked. <laughs> I mean, it's it was hard to because there was so much of it, and it was like it was hard to find one line or two that really exemplified the conflict that happens here. Very true. Uh, also, giants and junipers is what we're going to call our gin barrel aged uh, blonde ale that we're going to have <laughs> at our brewery. Giants and junipers. <laughs> uh-huh. Um. What, what would we? What would be the uh, the lobsters and lollipops? <laughs> I don't know. That one doesn't sound very appetizing <laughs> at all. Um, hmm. Hmm. I don't know. That's some thought. Uh, anyway, so what happens in this chapter, Kristen? We start out. We close the frame story that we are in. Yes, and um, we have confirmed that both the dwarf storyteller is Trumpkin, and also that the reason that they were brought to narnia from the train station was the blowing of queen susan's horn correct so we've confirmed both of those things in the first paragraph and three lines of dialogue okay and um now we have to figure out what that means what it means for this to be help summoned from wherever the great beyond uh, it's compared to uh, conjuring up a genie. Mm-hmm. The kids are like, it seems odd to have been summoned here. Doesn't it just? Like a djinn. They should be the ones doing the summoning because, you know, they're earthlings and they have yes. like, a special privilege. place in the universe. They've that got, earth privilege. They've got earth privilege. Uh, we can briefly stop here and, you know, have a not long conversation. Very brief conversation about. There's a word for this. Brief. Pause. Pause. We could yeah. pause here. We could pause here. And discuss. <laughs> and uh, discuss determinism and the idea of when Aslan, via Father Christmas, gave Susan this horn. Was that so that, you know, was it intended to bring them back here at some point? Like, was that planned out? Because it seems very, I don't know. I mean, like, when we talk about how Susan's horn was used in the book that it's actually Mm -hmm. out of, like, it does save Susan's life and Lucy's life because the wolf has attacked them. Yes. And Peter comes to the rescue and kills the wolf with his sword for the first time, his first kill. Yes. Learns how to clean his sword, all of that. And all of that action is the direct consequence of Susan winning that horn. Mm-hmm. However, like, realistically, we're talking about people who were 30 yards away from Aslan himself. So, like, if they, if that horn was absolutely necessary at that point, that feels a little um, <laughs> weird. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. But also, like, at the same time, we have the horn is just kind of there like it's it so i feel like really this is the first time that the horn has been used in an earnest need Mm -hmm. that we've seen at least in the books that doesn't mean that within the lore of narnia it hasn't been used for like a genuine need but it does seem a little bit odd that the horn was given to susan to protect her from a wolf Mm -hmm. and then nothing else and then a thousand years later, it comes into the hands of Prince Caspian. Mm-hmm. Now, also that said, there are other magical tools that could have been used. Like, we have all of this kind of lore now around the um, Dr. Cornelius and his magical abilities and things like that. Like, there were other ways that this could have been brought in. So I do feel like it's kind of 
I, I don't know. I don't know if it's deterministic. I don't know if this horn was given to Susan in order to be able to call them back. But who knows? Like, uh, Dr. Cornelius was able to determine through his magical studies and things and research on the horn and everything that what might happen when it was blown was that it might bring Susan back. And, or, you know, her brother, because we don't actually care about any of the women. Which we can get into about how not a single female character besides the nurse has been discussed in any kind of remotely positive way in this book so far. Um, she got sent away. They just haven't even, like, there hasn't even been any women mentioned in the whole war council or anything like that. It's very male-centric. But, uh, well, we got Susan and Lucy. They're enough, right? Yeah, they're not there. <laughs> and we're winding Susan's horn in order to summon King, High King Peter, uh-huh. not in order to summon Susan, the owner of the horn. Mm-hmm. <sighs> You're upset by this one. I am. Of course mm-hmm. I am. Like, mm-hmm. you... You primed the tanks for this like two days ago when you got me started on it. And it's just been festering in my brain ever since you mentioned it. And I'm like, okay, all right, let's let's really tear this apart here. Like, why? Anyway, no, let's not. Um, so the horn, I don't know about any kind of determinism or anything like that. But it is evident to... Dr. Cornelius, by his study, that what the horn should do is summon High King Peter and or the queens, and this is where they should end up in one of these places of great magical import to them and stuff like that. And with that said, there's clearly something about the nature of the horn itself that's evident to anyone with this kind of cursory magical knowledge that this is what it would do. Mm -hmm. So if that's what it's going to do, what would happen if Susan had blown the horn herself And what kind of magical help would come to her aid? Because would it summon High King Peter? Yes, it did. The one time we've seen Susan win the horn, it did summon High King Peter. And he came to her rescue and killed the wolf. Uh So who's the wolf? Where's the wolf? Why is is King Caspian winding the horn in order to summon King Peter? Like, is that what's happening? Is that what's... Yes, maybe, sort of. Is that... Was that intended by Aslan when he gave the horn? Who knows? Like, Lewis didn't write all of these books at the exact same time and publish that book with this one already written, maybe, question mark, don't know. But my rant might be over now. Um, But all of that said, I don't think that the intention in writing this object into the lore of Narnia was for it to be used in this way. Okay. Cool. That's all I was trying to get out. Oh. You know, figuring out if this was, like, you know, this is a callback, or I think this you is... did establish that this book had been written prior to the publishing of the first book, which means that there this because this was book two in publishing order, mm-hmm. and so and you mentioned in one of the earlier episodes that this book had been fully written prior to the publishing of *Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, which means that maybe it was the intention of Lewis mm-hmm. to establish that this kind of summoning of king peter could be done with the magic of the horn maybe but like i don't know we try as we might we can't really establish a ton of interconnectedness between the books like there is there's definitely some like we have the same characters showing up again in the pevensies are you but sure? like there's 
there's not a lot of foreshadowing or a lot of like other lore that takes place between books mm-hmm. and like the way i like to imagine it is you man you know like in the detective shows or whatnot where you like go into somebody's basement and they're trying to figure out a case and they have this giant board full of all the like the pictures and the news articles and they have the strings like connecting yeah. them all and it looks insane that whole thing i always picture like lewis having one of those but his is just like a straight line <laughs> and like horn lion um pevensey children <laughs> hmm. <sighs> all comes back to this lantern <laughs> Um, anyway, so we, uh, Trumpkin is very disappointed. Like he, he has no problem believing, yeah, these are the kids from the legends and yeah, that's not what we need right now. He's, he's kind of bummed about this. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to go back and report that nothing we, yep, happened. We failed. Um, uh, cool. We brought these kids here, but they're not going to do anything. Uh, and the kids can't stand for that. Oh yeah. No help has come. That's what you mean. Oh, sure. Sure. Uh huh. Uh, so, you know, they all get probably you know understandably offended by this uh and i mean is it really understandable though because they also like themselves were being confused about whether or not they had actually made it to narnia just last night uh i think there's a big mental disconnect here for trumpkin because he is the one sitting here saying oh hey we blew the corn and we summoned these kids and well obviously they're not going to be good for anything so i'll go report the failure to the 11-year-old king that I'm following right now. I know, now. <laughs> right? I know, right? Like, we don't like, <laughs> have any idea whatsoever how old Caspian is, except that he was being tutored in astronomy, like, uh-huh. and how to, like, dance and sword fight. Yeah. So, like, realistically, how old is Caspian? Well, let me look. Yeah. Do you have this information somewhere? I had it. So, according to what I'm finding, he's supposed to be basically the same age as Susan, 13. Uh-huh. So, yeah, like, I'm going to go report back to that man that I follow, the uh-huh. 13-year-old, that a kid who's a year older than him, and a kid who's the same age as him, and two kids who are just slightly younger than him have shown up, mm-hmm. and that's not going to be any help at all. Yeah. Also, one of the work council is a badger, so, I mean... I'm rolling my eyes so hard at Trumpkin, who's like, well, so much for the magic. It worked, but it didn't. (laughs) Anyway, so then they have this whole conflict that both of us completely ignored in our summaries, where the kids try to prove their worth, essentially, to Trumpkin. Mm -hmm. And so they all go down into... The um, treasure trove of Care Paravel mm-hmm. kit out with all of their armor and everything, including armor for Trumpkin with a helmet with rubies and a sword with gold on the hilt. Mm-hmm. And he'd never seen anything so like this. And he was like, if Nip- N- Nickabrick can never know about this place. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting. And then as they're coming up, Peter and Edmund have basically hatched a plan Yeah. to challenge this... Uh, great leader of the Narnian resistance to a, a little friendly duel. A little fencing duel. A little mm-hmm. fencing duel with their broadswords. Uh-huh. And, uh, Real broadswords. You know, they're just going to go at it. Edmund says, no, it's it, I should be the one to challenge him because, you know, then if I do lose, it's less, it's less of a blow to us. Uh-huh. And so Edmund challenges him. 
And All Peter's right. just like, yeah, if you lose, we can just leave you behind again. You're yeah, used to that. That's good. <laughs> um, and they have a little fencing match. I would like to point out here, we did have a conversation sometime this week about what relative like technology level that Narnia is at at this point. Yeah, like, the that time, was a question. The time frame and like if it's like early Middle Ages or something like that. It is bef- apparently before the point in time where anybody realizes they need to have leg armor. <laughs> there is discussion so, about this, yes. Yeah, that... and the whole duel. The entire point is to swipe at the opponent's legs because they're not wearing any armor down there. So, like, way before the invention of plate mail, um, yeah. It does seem that way, yeah, a mm-hmm. little bit. So, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing. Yep. Also, you know, like, they were able to find armor for themselves, you know, when they had been 10 plus years older when they left Narnia and would have had adult-sized armor down there and probably not a whole lot of kid-sized armor for a 14-year-old to wear. Yeah, I mean, Um, it's it's chainmail. Like, it's not like a rigid armor. Like, the the sleeves would be a little long, but... Whatever you say. No, you're fine. You're fine. If they're just wearing mail, I thought they yeah. were wearing armor. They're only wearing yeah. they mail. They said mail and... shirts and helmets. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so they had this duel. Edmund handily disarms the dwarf with the weird little wrist move that he pulls off. Yep. And they talk uh, about how anyone, no matter their skill, could be defeated by a, a trick they didn't know. Uh-huh. Uh, and so that's not enough for the kids because they have to, like, really thoroughly humiliate this guy uh-huh. and, like, put him down. Uh, so next up, we have an archery contest. Yep, with Susan. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, I've already seen her shoot, I know. But but wait, no. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess. Uh-huh, because we got nothing better to do. Like, there's a war going on, like, you brought got magically brought into this world, like, we're under siege, but we got time for a little archery contest, well, why not? And, and that point does get made later. <laughs> that point does get made by Trumpkin himself later. Uh-huh. That he's, he's been a fool and wasted time. Uh-huh. But, um... Susan challenges him to shoot an apple. Oh, he goes, oh, that'll be a good target. This one right here. And she goes, no, the red one. But that looks more more like a cherry. Which, at this point, (laughs) we've... No, you have to mutter it. He said nothing out loud. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) Good muttering. Thanks. Mutter well. Um, That's my giant name. (laughs) Uh And so then we have... um, the introduction of a red apple in this orchard, which I find interesting. We have a new color of apple. <gasps> what does this mean for the plot? Among all these golden apples, we have the red apple. Let's hard stop and really focus on this apple. All right, really I need to know. <laughs> what does the red apple symbolize? Mm-hmm. S- Susan and Trumpkin have a coin toss, which Trumpkin is absolutely fascinated by. Never seen a coin toss before. Mm-hmm. You know... Because there's been coins for over a thousand years. But nobody tosses them, though. But nobody is... <laughs> does a coin toss. Yeah. That's, that's just technology this world hasn't come to yet. Have there been coins? Maybe there haven't. Maybe this is just happens to be a pound coin that they brought with them. Well, maybe there have been coins. And, like, you know, you know, so Trumpkin's basically, you know, a resistance hermit living out in the woods away from any kind of civilized society. Like... With a badger and a black dwarf. Yeah. They probably don't really use currency as we think of it, so True. maybe he's never seen a coin before. Maybe. Um, maybe, but also, like, are there no chance tools that are used, like... No, they exclusively use D20s in Narnia. <laughs> they 
everything comes down to that. Less, yes. Let's let's all be very effective at creating dodecahedrons. <laughs> it is like a skill set that you learn as a child in Narnia. Apparently. Um, so anyway, archery contest goes the same way. Uh, he dwarf, no, he he does miss barely though. Just barely. Like, he only... raises the leaf next to the apple, and she hits the apple squarely. And she tries to be like, you know, very graceful about it. And be like, oh no, there's a gust of wind when you were well, taking your shot. Well, and she also was so like she felt bad about participating in the competition at all because she didn't want to make someone else feel bad right yeah. after he had just been beaten by Edmund. Yeah. As well, so mm-hmm. she got pressured into it though. Yeah. And they say, "Good job, Sue. Excellent shooting." Yeah. And he says. That's, you know, that's fair. I won't even complain about the injury to my shoulder mm. and make it sound like that was the fault. Uh-huh. And then Lucy jumps in. Uh-huh. Oh, you're injured. Mm-hmm. Let me see it. And he goes, it's not for your eyes, child. This isn't for little girls. Uh, not aside oh, for little... I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> so sorry. Well, you're doubtless some great surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> Which also tickled me. And she pours her little droplet of her cordial on it, and it heals him up, right? Right as rain. He can't see this injury, so he's doing the whole, like, this, what, what, what did you do? Is it there? Mm-hmm. And uh, finds that he can move his arm with no pain, and that it's all, seems to be all closed up. And, From a single drop of the cordial. Which, you know, he may or may not have even seen. Mm-hmm. He may just believe she has some healing breath. Mm-hmm. Um... But either way, all of them get to exhibit their specific skill sets, except for High King Peter. Mm-hmm. He's just being there. Yeah. You know. Just hanging out. Like a man. <laughs> That's all he has to do. Like a true king. Uh-huh. Stand in the back. Um, so we heal the dwarf, and then we actually get down to brass tacks, and we're like, oh, hey, we actually do need to get off the island. Like, if there's a dire situation here, we, you know. Kind of do need to get going because it. And if the how is at the stone table, then we know where that is. It's like two days away or something. And then Edmund's like, "Yeah, but if we go this way, we can be there by the evening or whatever." Like, mm-hmm. why did it take Edmund to remind them that another way existed? Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Don't know. Uh, and they discuss how they're best going to go about this. Uh, they get our provisions together. I want to. Let me look at the chapter. They so use like the we're... raincoat to scoop up a whole bunch yeah. of apples. As I feel like I'm missing something here because it just we we've made it sound like nothing happens in this chapter. Yeah, no, which... that's that's you you have gotten everything out of this chapter <laughs> so far. Oh man, any juicy nuggets that we really need to dive back into? Well, once they're in the boat, don't forget they took off their chainmail before they rowed because they knew it would be too hot to row in it. Mm-hmm. But um, other than that. We have references to, like, oh, some more do-you-remember moments. Do you remember when we went to Terebinthia, Galma, Seven Isles, the Lone Island? Do you remember this when we went to all of these places? And they're just kind of being overrun with this whimsy once more of all of these things. And we have had, I believe, the Seven Isles mentioned another time in this book so far. Uh, That was where Miraz sent away the... uh, yeah, something like that. The ones that didn't agree with him. Is this foreshadowing for the book with the boat in it? Maybe. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah. Maybe. So I do I do want to pause a bit and talk about the DLF thing because, like, 
as as gracious as the children are trying to be after like blatantly humiliating the dwarf they they didn't stop there and they're just like you know what we're gonna call him a diminutive nickname and we're just gonna let that stick and that's and you know his he has a name oh well we're, we're gonna, gonna just forget it we're just gonna call him dlf for dear little friend from now on and rub salt in the wound relentlessly yeah. yes and we do like Edmund Edmund started this because he's of course Edmund who is a bratty younger sibling mm-hmm. and brother and older brother at the same time but he says um look here said Edmund need we go by the same way that our dear little friend came and and Trumpkin says no more of that your majesty if you love me yep very well said Edmund May I say our DLF? That's all. <laughs> oh, Edmund, said Susan. Don't keep on at him like that. That's all right, lass. I mean, your majesty, said Trumpkin with a chuckle. A jibe won't raise a blister. And after that, they just called him DLF. All of them did. Yep. Even Susan, who has told Edmund to stop. Yep. That so. peer pressure. She's just going to get into it in this book. Um, yeah, and they have this fun time. Stand rem- by your principles, Susan. They have a fun time reminiscing about their boat. And yes. they're just like, remember all our boat parties that we used to have? The Slender High lie, which will then later be written about again in the book we've already read, The mm-hmm. Horse and His Boy. Yeah. I would like to point out here that we don't know a lot about all of the, you know, various things they did when they're, during their rule. Like, they were rulers over narnia for you know quote unquote the golden age which was like 20 years or something like that uh really short golden age yep but we don't know a lot about what happened here but everything that we've heard so far just makes them sound kind of terrible <laughs> and they abolished education for the children uh-huh. they went and explored a bunch of other islands and lands over the sea yeah peter went up north to fight giants yep um they did lots of hunting parties we still haven't met a bad giant Uh, like all of the giants we've met have been on our side but they had a war (laughs) with the giants Uh uh-huh other than the fact that like the wicked witch is like half giant yeah all these boat shindigs like there's no no talk about like policy or like institutional reform or like helping the people. Oh, but they made their chess sets out of gold with ruby (laughs) eyes. Yes, they made gold chess sets. So, I mean, clearly their politics were fine. (laughs) Like in their 20-year reign that basically all they've done is just like blow taxpayer money and like plunder the land and just, you know, live in complete... Opulence. Opulence and... Yeah, seriously. Yeah. And like go have, like, bad relations with their neighbors to the south because mm-hmm. Susan's leading a guy on for six weeks. Yeah. Hedonism. That was the word I was trying to find. Ah, like, hedonism. Just complete 20 years of hedonism and just being like, yeah, let's do whatever. We're rulers. Yeah. But apparently that's what Narnia was into because everybody remembers it fondly. And they're just like, those were the best times. I'm gonna be rulers. <laughs> yes, that one. <laughs> um... So we can do that. And then not, yeah, they're they're in the boat. They're going over the water. That's what you do in boats. <laughs> Crazy. Um, um, and uh, Peter and Edmund start out rowing. Susan switches out with Edmund at some point. But these, the oars are too big for you. Hang on. I, hey, 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 hang, hang on. I got to, and I got to read this word for word. 
The oars are too big for you, said Peter shortly. Not because he was cross, but because he had no strength to spare for talking. Period. End of chapter. That is the worst sentence to end a chapter with I think I've heard in any of these books or any book, period. <laughs> like, I turn the page expecting to keep reading. Nope, that's just chapter end. What? Am I missing pages out of my book? Nope, that's the end of the chapter. It's just in such a too. weird, abrupt way to end the chapter. And yep. it's like... No. Well, I mean, clearly, Lewis didn't have any more strength to He didn't to have any writing, strength to keep talking. Gosh. To keep writing. There, there are times I wonder if, like, you know, this is not baseless speculation. Okay. But this is, this is a thing uh, in the metafiction that I think makes sense. Okay. I think Lewis did not sit down and write any of these books. I think... All of them were dictated. Okay. I think he dictated all of these to somebody who was writing it down, and that explains so much of the structure of these and, like, the weird cutouts and, like, Lewis inserting himself and, you know, going on weird tangents about do you remember the seagulls? Like, this was just Lewis laying on a couch, sipping some brandy, being like, let me tell you the story that I've been kicking around in my head. That's fair. I mean, that's that's <laughs> that's fair for some of the things that we've even commented on. Uh-huh. Just stylistically, and I've I've mentioned that when we talked about all of his self-inserting, mm-hmm. that it does seem a little bit like a story written to be told and like read aloud, as opposed to one to be read yeah. silently. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's that's fair. Like I wouldn't, I don't know what his method was, and I obviously yeah. am not gonna do the research right now to find out, but. Yeah. Readers, if any of you out there have a picture of Lewis sitting at a typewriter, <laughs> send that in. Because until I see it... You're, you're not going to believe that he know. owned one? I don't know. <clears throat> also, if you have a picture of Lewis relaxing on a lounge and by a sunny window somewhere, yeah, maybe just, with a pipe in his hand, send that too. You know, having a discussion <laughs> with Freud. Uh-huh. Oh, wait, no, that was my... <laughs> it didn't actually happen, Kristen. Um, all right. So anyway, anything else we need to touch on in that chapter? It was pretty straightforward. I mean, it's a pretty short chapter. It's pretty to the point. It's pretty direct. And everything that happens in it is is pretty... I mean, like, I feel like there has to be some layers and level of symbolism to all of the contests with Trumpkin. Mm-hmm. Where it's like it's intentional that Edmund fights. That like, But I honestly think that the most profound thing we've discussed is this idea of... This, this horn summoning King Peter. Mm-hmm. And I would like to look back and see which one of the kids was the first one to feel the pool um, of Narnia. I think it was Edmund? I but... think it was one of the boys, but yeah, I don't sure. know which one. Uh-huh. Um, because it's Edmund who says this is obviously magic. You can tell by the feel of it. Mm-hmm. Um... It was, it was Lucy. It was Lucy that felt it first. She's the one who yipped first. Ed, and Edmund was like, what's up? Mm-hmm. And then he suddenly broke off with an ow. And then what on earth began Peter? And he too suddenly changed what he had been going to say. And Susan, let go. I'm not touching you. Someone's pulling me. Oh, so it was Lucy, Edmund, Peter, Susan, which is the same order that they had originally entered Narnia. Yeah. I mean, we don't really know the Edmund, the Edmund Susan specifically, but yeah, Yeah. it was Lucy then Edmund. Yeah. So no, that doesn't really 
feel like it's directly calling to Peter. Do we have any character development in this chapter? I don't. I mean, we have we, we have them remembering more. Uh-huh. We have evidence of skills being reasserted, like Edmund's ability to sword fight. Susan, we can't really credit tons of her physical ability to her remembering anything because we talk about how she's a good athlete, a good swimmer, and she's got a magic bow. So, like, we can't really be like, and Susan's also exerting some memory of her skills. Like, mm-hmm. but Edmund clearly is. He's sword fighting. He's got his memory. His skills are resurging. He's being able to perform mm-hmm. in a combat situation, even if it's a no. fake one. But he's able to remember skills and tricks and things like that to be able to sword fight. But... I wouldn't say that there's development other than the fact that Trumpkin is a is willing to accept them. Mm-hmm. Like the biggest change is Trumpkin's willingness to accept that they might actually be helpful. You mean Trumpkin can concede when he loses a contest? Um That one took me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to move on. Um Hmm. So, what do you think about character development, oh, Uh, character development lover? Yeah, not a a whole lot. Um, I do have something in my baseless speculation, which is not very much, but, you know, it's what I have, so we'll get there. But before we get there, we have another segment to go through. Biz. Shuffling, shuffling. Yours is very, very short. Mine is very um, short. Which is Narnia Chopped and Screwed. Yes. In this segment, we go back through the chapter and choose five sentences and write an entirely new story out of them. Hopefully. Uh huh. Kristen wrote like a new sentence out of five sentences. Don't look at my. Don't. <laughs> don't read mine. But uh, would you like me to go first? Yes, uh, you did your. I did my summary first. You can go ahead and do your rewrite first and tell us what we've got. All right. So here's my rewrite for this chapter. He knocked out and refilled his pipe. It's a dangerous game, said Trumpkin. So Edmund agreed and. By the aid of his torch, they all, including Trumpkin, went down the steps again into the dark coldness and dusty splendor of the treasure house. The dwarf's eyes glistened as he saw the wealth that lay on the shelves, though he had to stand on his tiptoes to do so, and he muttered to himself, it would never do to let Nicobrick see this. Never. As it is, we're awfully fond of children and all that, but... Just at the moment, in the middle of a war, but I'm sure you understand. Trying to figure out where you're going with that. Uh, my idea for that was, like, kind of turning Trumpkin's character over a little bit and having him show up and being like, oh no, these kids can't do anything, but I can still raid the treasury while I'm here and take something back. And him just kind of... But then why would it not do for Nickabrick to see it? I don't know because he's I'm challenging little, the integrity of he's, your creative because he's a little he's a little fiction. bit darker in this and he's a greedy dwarf. Okay, okay. Something that's what I was going for, just kind of making Trumpkin's character a bit more dark and gritty. As was I in mine. Oh. <laughs> but lad, said Trumpkin, these swords are sharp. No help, said Susan. I see that. Twang went the string. What have you done? That's good. 
It's really good. Two of those are lines that I was trying really hard to work into this somehow. The twang went the string one, uh, and the shorts are sharp thing. Yeah. Were both like I really wanted to put those in somewhere, but like couldn't figure out a way to do it. Yeah. No, and I feel like what this does, I mean, we've we've so far in the book painted Trumpkin to be this very much a part of the leadership structure, mm-hmm. willing to follow orders, offering advice. Not willing to challenge orders, just like, I know there's a time for advice, I know there's a time for orders, and I've given my advice, now give me your orders, King Caspian. Uh Like, he's been this really good soldier up to this point, he's been part of the leadership of this whole resistance, he's um, been a key player so far. Mm -hmm. And both of us read into this chapter the ability to turn him into a darker character mm-hmm. and to kind of create in him this kind of idea of like what we've seen of Nicobric mm-hmm. to be this kind of like seedy, a little bit shady, maybe backstabby, who knows, like, and to be a challenge to the kids here where he may not necessarily have the best interests of the resistance at heart or... Whatever. I think that that's interesting that both of us went there for Trumpkin because Trumpkin to this point hasn't been that kind of character other than the fact that he doesn't believe the magic. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that's been this kind of like part of his character that doesn't align with like the pure Narnian agenda, Mm -hmm. which is that he is not on board with the concept of magic. He's a dirty atheist. Yeah. And he doesn't believe in Aslan. (laughs) And he's like... You know, kind of along the same lines as Nickabrick, who's like, I'll believe in anyone that fights against Mraz, period. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be... That's that's beautiful, pure pragmatism, though. Uh, that's that's just like... Yeah, and I think that's... that that's <laughs> what, where it's coming from, that you and I are finding mm. these lines to draw out this more villainous character from him that he's not so far. Mm-hmm. But, like... That's where his doubts and questionings are coming to light into uh-huh. these kind of lines where he's like, these swords are sharp and, you know, like challenging them and all of these things. So I think that it's interesting that both of us and I dug into that specifically. Yeah. That's fun. Did I say both of us and I? Yeah. That was Who? odd. Yeah. Who's, who's the third person in this relationship? Are you, are you two people I'm two now? people because both of us <laughs> includes me and I. Uh. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, should we go into our last segment here? Yeah, let's go ahead. So our last segment is... So our last segment is Chris's noisy chair. <coughs> Kristen coughing. So our last segment... Oh, says the coffer McCoffee face over there. You're a coffee face. <laughs> so our last segment is baseless speculation. Chris has never read these books before, so this is his opportunity to just kind of take what we've read so far of this chapter, what he knows about Lewis from the previous books, and kind of what ideas are presented so far, and try to speculate some more story ideas, maybe come up with a better story. Um... And for me to just kind of play off of that a little bit. So, Chris, why don't you go ahead and give us your baseless speculation? Uh, so here's where we're starting with this one. We, when we go all the way back to the magician's nephew, correct me if I'm wrong here, but... Oh, you know I will. Uh, <laughs> so we had this, uh, like, whole thing with Uncle Andrew. 
So Uncle Andrea went to Narnia, had this very traumatic experience, like, was super into this whole, like, turning it into a strip mine or whatever. Uh, he got caged up by the animals, etc. pragmatism? Yes. Uh, caged up by the animals, etc., etc., all this stuff. But then he goes back, and once Prince Andrew ends up back on Earth, like, he doesn't really remember a lot of stuff that happened there. Like, it kind of slips his mind. Like, he forgets it really easily. In the same way that the kids forgot about England when they'd been in Narnia for a while. Correct, but, but, but follow me here. Um, then we, you know, jump ahead to the Pepsonies coming back, and specifically this chapter, where we have these challenges that come up uh, to the dwarf. Uh, you know, the kids proving how useful they are, because Edmund, rem- Edmund remembers his sword fighting skills, and he wins in a duel. And, like, Susan has her whole archery thing that she comes back to. And they all start remembering all these skills they had uh, when they're in Narnia. But we don't see that happening with Peter. Like you said, he kind of stands back, doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we can also go back to the, like, the very first or second chapter when they first end up on the island. And they're talking about, like, where they are and how they got there. And Edmund is the one who comes with all, up with all this. And it's just like... Hey, we're all, you know, I think we're at Caraparavel and we're somehow in the future and that makes perfect sense. And, you know, everybody kind of agrees with this. And Peter's just like shocked and he's like, by Jove, I think you've got it, whatever he says. So my running theory right now is that Peter doesn't actually remember Jack. Mm. Peter doesn't remember any of this. Interesting. And he's just... And, and he's just playing along with everybody else and just being like, oh, yeah, sure, that makes sense. And he's just freaking out inside right now because, like, <laughs> uh, when he went back to Earth, lost it all and he came back and didn't come back to him. And I think there may be something there with, you know, the older one is, the harder it is to retain any kind of memory of Narnia. To leave. And he was the oldest one okay. when they went back. Interesting. So that's, you know, there we go. Peter's just bumbling his way along. Okay, okay. So we have that said, and then we also have something that I want to touch on once again, mm-hmm. which I don't know if I've gone into in this book yet, but the titles of the kings and queens. Mm-hmm. We had King Peter the Val- the Magnificent. We had Queen Susan the Gentle. Mm-hmm. We had King Edmund the Just. And we had Queen Lucy the Valiant. Mm-hmm. And in these moments we have a withholding of Peter's magnificence. But mm-hmm. we have a presentation of Edmund's just. Like, oh, like, let's think about this. If I win, it might be, you know, more for our case. If I lose, it would be better for us. Um, and kind of being very fair and on the level with Trumpkin when it comes to how he won the battle, mm-hmm. how tricks work in fighting and things like that. We have Susan the Gentle who doesn't want to fight against uh, Trumpkin's archery ability. And she doesn't, she's very gracious and gentle with him when she wins. Maybe there was wind. There must have been a gust of wind. Mm-hmm. And then we have Lucy the Valiant who's stepping in as soon as she hears that he's injured. Oh, you're injured. I can do something about that. Mm-hmm. But like, where is Peter's magnificence being presented here? It's not. I agree with you. This is an interesting position that we've put Peter into. Now, Peter is also the one that everyone was expecting the horn to summon. Mm-hmm. And so what has this established for the future of this book is Peter going to 
be the magnificent High King Peter that everyone is expecting, or is he going to be a problem? Who knows? So where where is this all going to fall? Obviously, we have to keep reading, but is there going to be a moment where Peter just fails the resistance? Hmm. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't think Lewis will do that to his golden boy, Peter. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to have a fall from grace from him. Also, I think I have to defeat my own argument because I'm pretty sure it's Peter that like asks about if the treasure room is still there in the first place. And he brings that up, so that kind of defeats my whole... I think that was Edmund. Oh, but... maybe. Whatever, I'm not I'm not worried about looking into it. We'll, we'll correct myself, Lex. Well, you know, I'm also two people now. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many people doing this podcast. Yeah. Uh... Well, correct. What are you going to post on the Instagram this week, too? <laughs> well, correct the mistake next week if uh, I turn out I'm wrong. Um, so, yeah. Cool. That's the podcast. What do we got next week, Kristen? We got chapter nine. We are, uh, we're halfway through this book, by the way. Over we halfway. We're officially halfway through this book. Yeah. Halfway through this chapter was halfway through this book because it's a 15-chapter book. Mm-hmm. And next week, we'll, we will be back discussing chapter nine. The title of this is What Lucy Saw. Mm-hmm. So we're back to being central around Lucy, the first one to find Narnia, mm-hmm. the first one to get tugged towards Narnia, mm-hmm. and... The, the valiant queen. would also like to point out, we are halfway through this book. We're halfway into the book before the plot actually starts. True. All of this was backstory. Yeah, which, I mean, is plot. Is plot. Like, everything with Caspian <laughs> is plot. Mm-hmm. The fact that they've arrived there at Caspian's beck and call mm-hmm. is plot. Yes. So there is plot happening. But as far as, like, this is... My my problem with you complaining about this is that this is exactly how you wanted The Horse and His Boy to be written. This <sighs> is exactly how you wanted to well, rewrite Horse and His Boy. Okay, fine. I'll stop. I'll stop. I'm just looking for things to nitpick now. Uh-huh. Man. Yeah, you are. Okay. Because this is an example <laughs> of the writing style you wanted yeah. for the other book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. I'll stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you will. Go ahead and take mm-hmm. us out. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us today as we discussed Chapter 8 of Prince Caspian. And we will be back next week to discuss Chapter 9, What Lucy Saw. In the meantime, if you want to interact with us on social media, you can do so at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us at chronicallypodcast.com at gmail.com. If you're interested in contributing financially to the podcast, um, you can do that at patreon.com slash chronically podcast. And uh, you'll get nothing in return there. But, you know, sometime in the next seven weeks, Chris will have done something about that for you. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, never mock a man, save when he is stronger than you. Then... As you please. And uh, never use your sword to cut loose your dwarf. Cheers. Those swords are sharp. Bye. I'm emotionally devastated by a book I'm reading.
like, the, if that's the new soap, you, you did a bad job getting new soap. Uh-huh. That smelled weird. <sighs> All right, thank you. Because, you know, there are Earthlings and they have, yes. like, a special privilege. place in the universe. They've that got, Earth privilege. They've got Earth privilege. Uh... With this one already written, maybe question mark, don't know, but... Yes, but at the same time, like, I know... Actually, no. Uh, sorry, scrap that. I think that it's interesting that both of us and I dug into that specifically. Yeah. That's fun. Did I say both of us and I? Yeah. That was Who? odd. Who's, who's the third person of this relationship? Are you, are you two people I'm two now? people, because both of us includes me and I. Uh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> so it was the horn. Your own horn. I need to double check that I wrote that hmm. down right. It doesn't look right. Sue. So was the horn your own horn, Sue? Okay, yeah, I got yeah, it. Yeah, I see that now. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>